Well, good morning. I, I just, you know, we're in the series Be the Message, and we wanted to have every once in a while just some clips of where God is at work in people's lives. And you may not have recognized that name, but Eric Metaxas is is an individual who has written a book on uh, William Wilberforce, on uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer just recently, uh, has written a book called Seven Men, What Made Them Great. And, and he's doing that because someone was willing to share Jesus with them and tell about the beautiful experience they've had in relationship to Jesus and did so in a way where they expressed that. And so... You know, we're really excited about this whole series about Be the Message and the life changes and what can happen when people just become in a place where it's really a natural thing to share about who Jesus is and what it looks like. And so that's where we're in this series. I thought before I do that, um, I'd put this little Norwegian flag. Who are any Norwegians here? Yeah, yeah. My, my wife was in the first service, and I, I, I said I'd do this for her because it's set in my whatever that is. Um, yeah, it's okay. It's Independence Day for, for those in Norway. So, just a little celebration for you. Um, we're glad that you can enjoy this day, and we enjoy it with you. Well, you know, it's really interesting. There's, um, there's talking about Be the Message, and, and, and there's a quote that I really like, and it's become one that I've, I've quoted quite often and, and used really the last 15, 20 years. And I think a very appropriate quote, and probably came out, at that time because of what was going on in the, in the way people were witnessing and talking and sharing and evangelizing um, and, and, and just you know, sharing their faith. And, and it, it's, from, it, it's attributed to a, a man called St. Francis of Assisi. And, and, and the quote is, Preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. So it's a great, great quote, isn't it? Preach the gospel at all times when necessary. Use words. Which, what I really liked about that is because, specifically, a, a number of years back, I began to realize that so often we, as, as people who are sharing faith, we're trying to do a whole lot of convincing, and we're trying to convert, and we're trying to do all these things where we would use a lot of words, but our life wasn't necessarily matching up real well with what we were saying. And so this whole move has taken place over the last 15, 20 years or so, where it's been much more of about preach the gospel at all times, which is live it, and it's almost in some ways become a little bit of an excuse for not saying it. And so this morning we're talking about be the message and in, 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 in this whole idea of be the message we talked about be it and we talked about live it which are really important things and model it. And today we're going to talk about say it. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well it's interesting when you think about St. Francis Assisi what do you, some of you might have some familiarity with him. What do you remember him for? Animals, yeah, very good. Bring your pets to church and get the blessing of St. Francis Assisi, right? That's, that's often what's remembered around St. Francis Assisi. He was this kind of meek and mild guy, and there's stories about him preaching to birds and preaching to rabbits and to fish and even to a wolf. And, and St. Francis Assisi lived around 1182 to about 1226, so a number of years ago, before the Reformation took place. And one of the... the persons in that time, Thomas Solano, in the 13th century, actually wrote some of these stories about how he, you know, went to animals and stuff. And I, I thought it was kind of interesting because he, he, there's one story about him preaching to the birds. There was a time when St. Francis quieted a flock of noisy birds that were interrupting a religious ceremony. And much to the wonder of all presents, the birds remained quiet until Francis' sermon was complete. Wow. I mean, I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I thank God we had windows here and you guys aren't too loud, so I don't have to worry about that. 
He, 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 he preached to uh, fish and things like that, and I thought this was kind of an interesting story. And those of you who participated in, in, in the big fishing holiday last week, um, who has the guts to raise your hands that you were away on Mother's Day? Anyway, um, it says at one point, when, whenever a, a fish was caught and Francis was nearby, he would return the fish to the water, warning it not to be caught again. Now, fishermen aren't going to really like that. You know, catch and release is one thing, but catch and never catch them again is another thing, right? But you see, you get this picture of St. Francis of Assisi, of this guy who says, preach the gospel at all times, when necessary, use words. And we get this picture of this guy who's meek and mild and who went around and he talked to animals and was some kind of almost, almost a little different. But the reality is, St. Francis of Assisi would never be on this side of the equation where he would say, don't talk about Jesus. In fact, uh, Mark Galley, who's the editor for Christianity Today, wrote a book on St. Francis of Assisi. And he says that St. Francis of Assisi began preaching early in his ministry, first in the Assisi um, Church of St. George, and then which he had grown up and went to school as a child, and later in the Cathedral of St. Rufinus was the main speaker there. And he usually preached on Sundays, and on Saturday evenings he would take time to prepare his heart into what he was going to say that next day. And then soon after that, because he was so effective at talking about Jesus, he went on an itinerant ministry. And he would preach sometimes up to five different villages a day, and he'd do it outdoors, and he'd stand in a bale of hay, or he'd stand in the doorway of a of a um, granary, and he would talk to people about Jesus. And, and, and some said that he was actually a little bit of even a showman. He would, in, in, he would actually imitate troubadours and employ poetry and word pictures to drive the message home. And when he described, they said, the nativity, listeners felt as if Mary was giving birth before their eyes. And when he was rehearsing the crucifixion, going through the story, the crowd, as did Francis, he would, he would move them to tears. So effective were the words he used to tell about Jesus. One early biographer said, his words were neither hollow nor ridiculous, but filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, penetrating to the marrow of the heart, so listeners were, were turned to great amazement. So one of the things I want to just talk about is I think what's happened in our culture, and sometimes when we get a quote like this, which I really, myself, personally like, is that we can go to some extreme, we can go to this side and go, yeah, well, it's all about our life, it's about our love, it's about using our gifts, it's about serving, it's about caring for, it's about all these things. Let your life show it. Just let your life show it. And it gives us sometimes an excuse to sit, not to move to the place where we talk about Jesus with others. And if you're there, I, I kind of understand that. And you say, well, you're a pastor, you should be, yeah. But it's really easy to get in a situation where you're out in the world, and it's real easy to shrink back and not to say much about Jesus. Now, I really agree with what St. Francis says because I think we get to this other extreme and what's happened over the years is we've, we've had people talk a lot about Jesus but not necessarily match it up with their life. And so I think what he says is very important. So what I want to do today is, is just talk about what it means to talk about Jesus in your life. I want you to really think about what does it mean for you in this world to live in such a way that your life reflects Christ and there's opportunities when God, through his Holy Spirit, prompts you to talk and to say something about Jesus. And what does that look like? And when you do, you'll realize words will be necessary. 
Words are always necessary. If you're living life, you don't just kind of live a really nice life between yourself and your spouse or between a friend or something like that. You engage in conversation. So conversation around Jesus should be something that would come up. So saying something about Jesus is first, I just want to talk about it's not optional. We'll just take a few minutes on that. And the the second thing I want to talk about is it's not necessarily easy. But then we're going to kind of turn the page to a different side of it and say it's also something that's not difficult. It's not a complex thing. And so let's just kind of look at those first few things. First, talking about Jesus is not optional. It's very clear that when Jesus came, he gave a great commandment. And the great commandment he gave, and he gave it a number of times, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your might and strength, and love the, the, your neighbor as yourself. So you had this great commandment. But you know what's interesting is he gave that commandment and he talked to people about his, who he was and about his Father in heaven. As he was leaving, he got all his disciples together and he was on a place, on a hill, on, and he was ready to ascend. And he gave them a second thing called a great commission. And in this great commission in Matthew 28... Verses 19 and following, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, Now catch these words, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now so often we pass by that so quickly, and we not, can't do that here in this situation. If he's giving some words here, and he's talking to not just the disciples, but he's talking to you and me through these words, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He's basically saying, I've been made the boss of this place. Okay? This place we call the earth, I'm in charge. And because I'm in charge, I want you to know that I'm going to give you a commission. I'm deputizing you. I'm giving you a commission to go out and to do this. And what is it we're supposed to do? Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Now, you've heard this before. George shared this. I think, in fact, it's one of George's favorite verses. But one of the things he says is, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And we get that a little messed up because what he's saying here is as you go in your lifestyle, as you live your life, you live your life reflecting the goodness and the grace and the mercy and the faith and the patience. You, you have your life. It should match up so that as you go, he then says, make disciples. And the word make disciples, we sometimes get a little lost on that. The word disciple gets a little foreign to us. It really meant in that day, make learners. Make apprentices. Make practitioners. And, and what's really interesting is if you look at the ministry of Jesus, he would take people and they would come around him and at a certain point he'd call them and he'd say, you follow me. And basically all you're doing is as people begin to start looking at and beginning to try and understand spiritual things or trying to understand what the Bible's about, what, who Jesus is, it's your opportunity to help make a learner. And that's what he's saying. I'm commissioning you, because I'm the boss of this whole thing, to go out, and I'm going to give you authority and power to do this. And as you go throughout your life, I want you to go ahead, and as people begin to express interest, and they begin to open their heart, and they want to know more, then just, they're a learner. So begin to start causing them to know more. And, and he goes on, and he says, um, all nations, we get mixed up on that in the sense that that means just we're supposed to go all around the world. And, and it is true that we're to go throughout the earth, but he uses the word ethnoth, which basically means the word, you know, ethnic. It's the idea of all kinds of people. That's almost a better translation of that. As you go, and people want to know, you help them become learners, practitioners of this thing that we call following Jesus, and you do it with all kinds of people that come into your life, And then he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One way to look at that is not just the baptism act, 
but this idea of immersing them in this Trinitarian presence of God. You are immersing people in the fact that this God, the Father, His Son, and His Spirit are available and around you. Immerse them in the reality of this and then teach them all these things. I like the way Dallas Willard paraphrases this. He says, I have been given say over all things in heaven and earth. And as you go, therefore, make learners, apprentices, practitioners of all kinds of people Submerge them in the Trinitarian presence and show them how to do everything I've commanded. And I love his ending here. And now, look, I'm with you every minute until the job is done. I'm just with you. So as you go out, just know I'm here with you. So there is no room. It is not optional. There will be necessary times. There will be opportunities that the Holy Spirit is going to give you and that only you can share what it means. Only you can talk about Jesus in a way that's going to be relevant to you and the person he's placed around you. And, and he has placed you there purposely and he expects you to use words in those situations. And the question I ask you to think about and I ask us to think about as a church, as people, as individuals, what does it mean for you to go about your life in such a way that as you see people who are learners and God begins to prompt you to say something about Jesus. You know, we've talked about it, and I think George brought this up a few messages ago. He talked about the fact that, you know, we, we have been given in the comforter, but often we don't get uncomfortable. We're the most comfortable people in the world, right? That's why lazy boys, lazy boys are one of the number, selling, number one selling chairs in, in, in the nation. You know what? Right? No one buys risky boys. Um, because talking about Jesus is a scary thing. And he is telling you and me, if you've signed up and you want to be a part of this, then, then you need to talk about Jesus. You need to, you need to say it. So let's get to the second part. Because I, I think when we talk about saying it, here are the things that get in the way. Here's what makes it not easy. There are reasons. There are obstacles. There are hindrances. And one of the hindrances is what I call a perception problem. We usually have stereotypes of what it means to say the person who's talking about Jesus. They usually range from the superstar Christian, right, to the super obnoxious Christian. And you kind of go, I don't want to be perceived like that. And the superstar Christian is the kind of person, you know, they, you hear the stories around, they, they talk to their neighbors, and their neighbor comes to faith in Christ, and so does everybody in the neighborhood. And, and they're the kind of person, they get on the plane, they're sitting there on the plane, they're reading a book, and says, what about that book? And he tells them about the book. And they've got this charisma and stuff, and everybody in the next five to six rolls all come to faith in Christ before the plane lands, right? That's a superstar Christian. Now, the reality is that some people are given the gift of evangelism. It's just a natural thing. Everybody in this church has been given a gift by God, and one of the gifts is evangelism. And some people are given the gift of evangelism, and God works in such a way, and we put them there, and we go, there's no way I'm going to do that. In fact, when I get on a plane, I want to sit on a plane, get my book, and no one talk to me. If you ever sit in first class, get upgraded to first class, you can tell that's the place you don't talk to anybody. You go back to the you know, other cabin and everybody's going down to, let's say, to Florida or Arizona. They're all going, yeah, party, we can't wait. The other guys, they're all the business people going, just, I'm working. So you have the superstar Christian based on the fact that they probably have some kind of evangelistic gift. And you kind of go, I can't do that. So I guess you almost want to pull back because when you've tried to do that, you haven't really seen maybe a lot of success. But then you have what I call the super obnoxious Christian, right? No one wants to be that. 
Remember a few weeks ago, Terry Esau spoke about kissing too hard. It's the person who's just, you know, you want to go, Ooh, stay away a little bit. I mean, anytime you talk to him, you know, you talk to him about, and the, you know, someone says, yeah, he says, can I get you a coffee, cup of coffee? He goes, yeah, get me a cup of coffee, and I can also get you Jesus. You know, they just bring it in every situation. You kind of go, well, wait a second, where did that come from? And, and so we have this perception that we've got to deal with that I think is an obstacle to actually saying about Jesus the things that need to be said. And then there's what I call the, the, the fear factor. And that's a real thing. That's a real thing. I know it in my own life. This fear factor that I think we, probably many people experience, is that is the fact that you don't want to talk about Jesus because we all have this desire to be accepted. No one wants to be weird, right? And we all have, to some degree, some more than others. I know there are some people who are wired with a temperament in such a way that, that they don't care what anyone else thinks around about them, right? You really wish they did. Anybody married or know someone like that? You know what I mean? That kind of thing. But then you get most people are kind of a little bit concerned about what people are thinking. And so because they don't want to be weird, they don't want to talk about Jesus. And there's a fear of approval and acceptance. And you just get in that place. And yet I think about it. People share some of the most ridiculous things. You know, yeah, I believe in UFOs. Oh, you really do? Yeah, yeah. I you know, saw one the other day. You know, or, or Bigfoot. Yeah, Bigfoot's running around roaming. Or we talk about the latest diet, or the latest allergy thing, or this or that, and we kind of go, well, they're just a little bit different, but they're not weird. We don't want to be weird. And we get in our mindset, this idea, you start talking about Jesus, and they're going to think I'm weird because I'm a super obnoxious Christian. I don't want to be like that. And the fear holds us back from talking about faith. I remember when I was in, my dad was a pastor, and I remember I was in um, 10th grade, and I was running with my daughter yesterday, and she's obviously a pastor's daughter because she's my daughter. Anyway, um, and she was sharing with me about when she was growing up. She said, you know, you have this perspective. Everybody looks at you when you're going through school. When they find out you're a pastor's daughter, you're either way over here and you're like heaven and you always are doing everything great and you're like angels and all this stuff going on or you're raising hell, right? I mean, you're one of the two. And she goes, I didn't want to be either of those. I just wanted to be me. And I was thinking to myself, I remember that too. I remember I didn't want people even to know that I was a pastor's kid because all of a sudden you had this thing before you. Even today, I don't like it when I'm around people to necessarily be acknowledged as a pastor right away. But not because I'm afraid anymore about talking about Jesus as much as I'm. A, I just don't want that to be a wall because all of a sudden you're not really real. It's like this kid in 10th grade. I'm sitting on the bus. He was a cool kid. His name was John Ski. And if he hears these messages, John, I'm talking about you. And he... Um, he was one of these real cool kids, athlete, you know, girls gave him attention and everything. He's sitting on the bus next to me, and he looks at me just, he knows I'm going to be getting off in a few blocks. He's getting off right here, and he says about a block before, he goes, so now, like, what did you do the rest of the night? Like, like, does your family, like, pray all night? And I said, no, no, we actually pray and fast, and then we worship all night. <laughs> I, I said... I just kind of laughed. I said, I said, John, we probably do what your family does. He goes, no, not like our family. They were on church and I think had some real, you know, hurts and pains. And it's not anything like ours. I said, well, okay, but, but, we're not, but we don't do all that. We're just pretty normal. And that fear of what others are thinking is an obstacle that we want to move to the place where we preach the gospel at all times by meaning living our life, but then we're afraid to say something. Even when the Spirit of God is prompting us to say something. And there's not just this fear of, of approval. There's what I call also a real battle going on.
There's real spiritual forces of evil. There is a Satan. There is, there is a force that does not want you to tell people about the goodness and love of God. So it's not just your fear. Satan will play upon also this very real battle that's going on spiritually. And Paul was very clear about this in Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. He realized our acceptance need. And he says, as he describes the spiritual battle we're in, he says, last of all, I want to remind you that your strength must come from the Lord's mighty power within you. You need to, and you act in obedience, let the power of God come through. Go ahead and get a little uncomfortable. Take a step of faith. Move into this place and let the power of God show up. You won't see the power of God in your life. Your life as a follower of Jesus will be pretty boring. I can tell you, it'll be pretty boring, and soon you're going to try and do something to get your life spiced up. But if you choose to live within this place where you're in faith, stepping out and letting God do things, you will begin to see God do things you couldn't imagine. And so he he talks about this spiritual battle. And we're not fighting a battle made of flesh and blood. It's not against people. We always, we've talked about a serious back. We said, you know, our battles are never against people. They're never against people. You love people. You give them grace. You give them mercy. You speak truth to them when you need to, but you know what? It's not about people. And then he gets down to about verse 18, and he says, I, he says I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you in this spiritual battle. And look at verse 19. He says this, pray for me too. And would you ask God to give me the right words as I boldly tell others about the Lord? Pray that I'll keep on speaking out boldly for him, even here in prison, as I should. The NIV says, pray that I will fearlessly make known the gospel. This is Paul. This is a superstar guy. Recognizing his own fears. Recognizing he needs the power of God in him. He is asking, help me move through my fear. And we all live there. And there's another thing. Then, not just this idea that you have this fear of, uh, of wanting to be accepted and approval and this, this spiritual battle that's going on. The spirit of our age is the spirit of our age is this idea that you know what, there's, you know what, that's fine that you believe that, that, that this is my truth. And so it's, you know, so we get this idea that somehow because every truth, now we're in an age where truth is relative and, and it's rather subjective, that it's really hard to share the gospel because we don't have an absolute truth. Baloney! You don't need to convince someone about absolute truth. You live truth and it will show up and the power of God will be present. You walk with God in such a way that your life is really different, it will be attractive. Now, there are times where you need to get into the discussion and you need to give some verification around a person who has some intellectual difficulty and you can help them with it. But far too often, here's what's going on. It's like the kid, you know, he comes to you and he says, you know, I want to know about the birds and the bees. Like a little four-year-old, kind of like, and so you go, oh man, already he's only like four. And, he, and then you lay this whole thing out for them, and they're just looking at you, kind of gazing like, well, this is way more than I wanted. And, and then he goes, well, Mom, I was just asking because this little thing says sex, M or F. I just want to know, am I male or female? We do that with people. We, we, we sit there, and we go through all this stuff, and we all, you know what? Here's what I want to tell you. We make it far more difficult than it needs to be. So the, the last thing I want to talk about is, that, is, is this little truth that I think is, 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 is powerful. This is not difficult in the sense of being complex. You're, you're thinking, wait a second, you said it's not easy, now you're telling me it's not difficult, make up your mind. It's simple versus complex. You don't have to convert people. It's not your job to prove to someone. 
In fact, if you look at Acts 1.8 and you look at what Jesus says, he always makes reference to this. Verse 8, but you will never receive, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be what? Witnesses. You'll be my witnesses. I'm the boss of this whole thing. I send you out to be not evangelists, not the superstar Christian. I don't want you to be super obnoxious. I don't want you to be held by your fear. I want you to recognize the spiritual battle. I realize there's a spirit of our age, but you know what? doesn't matter. With all that stuff going on, it's really not that complex. All I want you to be a witness. And what does a witness do? So if we're pulling out of the parking lot today, and you see an accident out here, and you come to a court of law, and they want you to share, what do they want you to do? Just tell what you saw. They're not asking you to convince the judge or jury. Now, you may have lawyers and others who are trying to help you. That that's not your job. Witnesses merely say, this is what I saw. And every one of us can do that. And Jesus makes it really clear. I, I wondered sometimes why Jesus includes this passage of Scripture that you find in Mark chapter 5. It's just, there's a number of different reasons, but let me just kind of show you that Jesus simplifies this whole thing and gives us three things it means to be a witness. Real simple. Mark chapter 5, verses 1, as you go on, Jesus has just pulled onto shore with the disciples. They had been in the boat, and a big storm came up. He was sleeping, and they woke him up. He calmed the storm, and they're amazed. And they're going, wow, this is incredible. This Jesus is more than what we ever thought. He's over nature. And then the next thing that happens is he gets to this place called Gerasenes. He comes there, and as he goes up the coast, there's a hill that goes up this area of the Decapolis where there's these ten cities where the Gentiles are. That's why you're going to stay in this story. You'll see there's pigs that they would tend to because Jews wouldn't do that. They go up this hill, and on this hill is, a, is a, a bunch of tombs. It's a graveyard, and in the graveyard is living a guy. And this guy has an impure spirit in him. And this guy sees Jesus and comes running down towards Jesus and goes, what are you going to do with me? Now, you have to understand a little bit of this guy's story he had been basically placed in the area living in the tombs living in a graveyard because he was basically full of death and causing death and the, and they tried to keep him from going to the village and going other places they basically this is their insane insane asylum this is where he's going to live and they would try and bind him there with chains they said both on his hands and his legs, his, his ankles. And he was so strong because of the power of the Spirit, he could break it three. They couldn't keep him. They didn't want him. And not only that, it says in Scripture that he took stones and was cutting himself. You go, wow, that's really interesting. But you know what? Today we see people cutting themselves all the time. Why do you, some of you may have cut yourself, or you may be in doing that. One of the reasons people do that is because they feel so dead, they, they, they feel so deadened, they feel they're going towards death. They want to just see even if they're living. They want to know if they even feel. This is where this guy's at. Runs to Jesus, falls, it says, you know, here's one thing you need to know too. There's a lot of begging going on in the story. Three different times there's people begging. He runs to Jesus. Jesus says this impure spirit. He goes, who are you? The guy gives his name Legion, which means a whole bunch of, of demonic spirits are controlling this guy through this one person or through this legion. And Jesus, it, it says here, and this person, the impure spirit, I think, in him, begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. And so Jesus casts them into some pigs. Pigs go off the cliff. That's a whole other story. We won't get into that. But those who are tending the pigs, 
they run off. They go to the villages. They go to the countryside. They say, God, come and see this guy. This guy that we, can, we couldn't handle this guy. We put him in chains. We did everything. We put him here. You've got to come and see this guy who did something incredible. And these pigs ran off. Da, 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 you know, this whole story. And these guys all come running back. The village comes running back. And when they come back, they see the guy sitting there. It says, dressed in his right mind. And they looked at him and they were afraid. Because it's Jesus who calms the storm also has the Jesus to take care of those things, these demonic things that plague us, these spirits that actually can control and do control people. And then it says this, catch this. Then the people began begging Jesus to leave their region. So the one guy's on his knees, and the spirit's saying, don't throw us out of the region in the area. These people come, they see Jesus, they see the cost that's going to be for their village, because you lose a bunch of pigs, that's an economic failure right there. And they go, please get out of our area. Now here's something that's really cool about Jesus. He wasn't super obnoxious. He didn't go, what do you mean, get out of the area? I'm staying. He didn't. It says in the next verse that he, he actually went back to get in the boat. He respects, we need to learn to respect. When a person says, you know what, this is enough, Pray for him like crazy. Do love and good and kind things. And when the Spirit prompts, speak, because you always pay attention to the Spirit, but do so with people in incredibly respectful ways. So Jesus, I love this, this is the third time he's begging, that we see begging. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with Jesus. And I go, well, why did they keep this part in the gospel? It's kind of an interesting thing. Because you would think, I mean, if I'm Jesus, I'm going, I'm on the road, I'm an itinerant, I'm preaching, I'm going to have this guy tell a story. This is a really good story. Jesus looks at him and goes, no. And there's a reason he does. He tells him three things. Listen to what he tells him. This is what it means to witness. Go home to your own people. People who know you, who will be able to see the life change, tell them how much the Lord has done for you, second thing, and then how he has had mercy on you. And one of the reasons Jesus did that, because what Jesus was also doing was he was sending people ahead. You know, we are all messengers to some degree. We may not see a person come to faith in Christ. We won't necessarily be the last one in the chain where a person says, I want to believe and trust my life to Jesus and admit my need of him. But we will be people in that chain. And so this guy goes back to this area, this Decapolis, and one of the reasons he goes back into that area is he begins to, he's basically watering the ground so that when Jesus dies and resurrected and disciples come and apostles come into that area and people come into that area and begin to speak about Jesus, they've heard about him because they've seen a life that's been changed. You are so important to the people around you right now. Only God can use you. And he wants us to not be super obnoxious. He doesn't want us to be, he doesn't call on everybody superstars. He's calling us to be witnesses. And that basically means the things we were talking about last week when we talked about intentionally looking at the fact that go home to your own people means there are people within the place that you live your life day in and day out that you rub shoulders with that only God can use to meet. And when you go there and there's opportunities, when necessary, don't shy away from it. Tell them what the Lord's done for you. Which makes you have to examine your heart and go, man, do I know what God's done for me in a way that would, and anyone would want to know? 
And I love the third thing he says. Here's the thing that keeps you from being arrogant and thinking that you got your act together. He said, tell him how the Lord has mercy on you. <laughs> Basically, I'm no better than you. I was a mess, and God did a work in my life, and I'm so grateful he did. That's what a witness is. And that's pretty simple to do. So as I was thinking about this and I was preparing it, I had a neat thing happen this last week. I shared with you last Sunday about um, the fact that I was doing this Monday morning group with some of these younger guys in our church, and it was really kind of a neat thing. I was, my prayer and hope was that we, I could give my life to some of these guys to help see them become leaders. And, and so at one point, one of the guys said, hey, let's do something active and fun. So we went and played whirly ball, which was new to me. Um, and we're at this world of all place. We're sitting around a table, and, there's, and, and one of the guys couldn't show up, so one of the guys invited his younger brother to come, who I knew he wasn't in church, and, 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 and I know he's coming, and the chair is next to me, and I'm having these thoughts, like I'm not the right guy to be sitting next to him. He should probably sit in here because they'll relate to him better, and, uh, and things like that. And he shows up, and, and then uh, a week or so later, that week or so, I get an email from him, and he says, you know, I want to start a group of guys. Could you do something like this for guys my age, which was, it was younger, in a different age stage? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even, you know, really know that many guys his age. I'm, I, I don't, God, I'm not, I can't do that. I'm really busy, too. And I was just kind of working through these things. And then so as I was sharing that story with you last week and how God brought the thing together, and, and one of the things that's kind of interesting when I was thinking about I don't even know some of these guys, Man, I could, this story could go longer. God did some amazing things. I was in a Home Depot, and a guy came up from behind me who I had known a long time ago and said, hey, how you doing? I haven't seen you for a long time. And I just went, because I had this prompting. I said, you know, would you like to be in a Bible study this next Tuesday? <laughs> and he said to me, you know, it's really interesting. This morning, before I came here, I was thinking about I should get in touch with spiritual things. So, I shared that story last week, and then I didn't realize that Tommy, who was the guy who was in the group, was here Sunday, and he's back now for his... I knew that he was back from his graduate program to do an internship. But he, he writes um, some things. Then he says, P.S., uh, great sermon yesterday, which I wanted to throw that in there. Um, <laughs> I almost shed a tear, which is kind of cool, because you know, he's a guy. I almost shed a tear. Almost, it almost came. Pulled it back. Um, when you described the story of how our Bible study transpired. One detail that often goes untold, which I didn't even know until till I read this, is that I sent this email to you and another pastor, and I never got a response from the other pastor. And I'm not saying that that other individual is any less of a pastor or a friend. I personally believe that God's plan was for me to be at Wyzetta Free. How are seeing what has come of our group a year and a half later is simply remarkable. Not only have lifelong friendships been created, but people got to know Jesus Christ. For that I say thank you, Kevin, because had both you, had you both said no, both these pastors, my life would be a lot different. And I just read that, and I went, man, God. Now, catch this again, guys. I'm not saying it's a model. I was afraid that I wasn't the right guy. I had fear that I didn't have time. And I can tell you right now that I'm so glad that, that I, in obedience, did that because I will make time for that now. You know, it's amazing how your priorities change. And I was afraid that I didn't know anybody. And all God was saying was step through your fears, 
Begin to start trusting me. Just reach out and you will begin to see some things that are amazing. And I'm not a big evangelist, you guys. I'm not a superstar Christian. I'm just trying to be like you, walking this out in a way that makes sense to follow the Lord Jesus. And so we met last Tuesday. And we get done. And um, I go up to the counter after we're done. I usually grab something else to eat. And there's a lady, and she um, would often be there, and I'd say hello to her. And, and she said to me as I was ordering, I don't know her much more than just been really a friendly relationship. And she says, um, I'm going to be in church next Sunday. And I thought, and, and, and I know she could tell I was a little bit um, taken back. And she goes, you're the pastor, right? I said, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> yep, yep, that's me. And then she just said, and she's here this morning, so I'm, I'm not going to embarrass you too much, but she said, Big Dan invited me. Big Dan's like 6'11". I don't even know if Dan's up here. He usually sits in the back because he doesn't want to be in front where everyone can't see over him. But anyway, Big Dan invited me. And I just go, isn't that cool? I don't know what God's doing, except for I do know that when I just say, God, this is my life, I don't want to be afraid. I want to walk in confidence and boldness. And I want you to use me in people's lives. And which part of that means being the message means that you will talk about Jesus with others when God prompts you. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close with this song, which I really like this song. It's kind of a new one. Um, but it just basically, the word amen, if you say that, just means, yes, it's true. It's true. Let it be. Let it be.